everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of VR in Education. In today's show, we have the distinct pleasure of talking to Shannon Putman, who is a PhD student and research associate at the University of Louisville. Shannon is heavily invested in VR. Most recently, she participated in an MIT hackathon where her team developed an award-winning game called Brain Drain. So it's so wonderful to have you on the show, Shannon. Welcome. Thank you so much. It's a, it's a total honor and pleasure to be here. Everyone has their origin story of what got them so interested in VR. Tell us yours. Um, it started back when Oculus had was on their DK2 kit, and I taught special education. And for eight years, I taught a self-contained class that was titled the Multimodal Communication Classroom, and it was all students who had um, difficulty orally communicating. And uh, a lot of times that involves autism or, um, you know, deaf and other things like that. So we used, you know, multiple methods of communication, including American Sign Language. And a lot of the times it led to technology because it was a great um, tool for some of our students. And so I had a student who had autism and I had asked his parents, like I do every year at the beginning of the year, what their goals were. And they said that they wanted to be able to go out to dinner as a family because he had an older sister and she did not have autism and he couldn't handle the restaurant. And so I was like, okay, well, what's your favorite restaurant? And there's a place here in Kentucky called O'Charlie's and they have free pie on Wednesdays. So it's a big deal. And I went out there and the restaurant was unbelievable. They were so wonderful and supportive. And I filmed uh, a dinner scene in 360 and then I brought it back and he would, we would practice every single day. Um, We would get like a couple more seconds in the classroom. We would practice in the virtual environment. And after about six months of doing this every day, he and his family were able to go out to dinner um, and he lasted a little over an hour. So I was instantly hooked when I saw the power um, that it made just starting with one family. And I've just run with it ever since. Wow. That that is such an amazing story I never thought of the sort of preempting them or just prepping them for what's to come next uh, as a tool so that's really interesting yeah it, it's really um, an effective way because it gives them you know all the like the sensory input and the noises and the sounds and the dishes and the clanking and everything but we were able to do it in a in an environment that he was already comfortable in and we could instantly stop it. You know, if you're at the actual restaurant, you can't, you have to get up and walk out. Whereas he could just take the headset off and there was no worry about being embarrassed if he threw a tantrum or if he yelled or screamed because there was nobody there that it would bother. Uh, So it really was um, one of the best experiences for helping him prepare for that type of an environment. Just in case some of the listeners aren't familiar with the term special education, uh, can you explain it in your own mind, what it means to you and how it's sort of rolled out in schools? Um, Sure. It's kind of different in that like every state and even every county within a state has their own terminology for different things. But in general, special education is um, any student who requires some sort of extra support 
that isn't typical in your general education classroom. That can range from anything from dyslexia to physical handicaps to all different kinds of things that either can be provided in the general education classroom, it can be provided in a um, pull-out type of resource setting, or a self-contained um, classroom, and then with the goal being that they go into the general education classroom for different um, periods of time and different subjects. And in, in you see a mix of that in the schools. Um, the goal is always to have them around their general education peers as much as possible so that it's but it needs to be done in a way that is thoughtful and, and carried out with efficiency. Because if you take a student like um, my uh, boy who had autism, if you take him and you just put him in a gen ed class and, and it's like, okay, well, he's in the classroom now, it's not going to be successful because you're just changing his location. Uh, you need to give him the supports. You need to prep them. You need to provide all the tools that they need to be successful. And this can include kids who are on the spectrum of gifted as well, correct? Yes, absolutely. A lot of times the the gifted and talented, as we've heard it referred to, sometimes gets not overlooked, but maybe isn't initially thought of. Um, and a lot of times we can see students who are gifted having um, challenging behaviors. And a lot of times it's, it's because they're bored and they're not being challenged. So, you know, for a teacher, they have to try to be able to provide lessons at so many different levels. They, you know, need support as well. And that's where, you know, special education teachers come in because we can, like I said, provide that um, instruction in the classroom or out of the classroom or ideally a nice mixture of both. Hmm. So you already alluded to using VR to reduce anxiety. How else do you believe VR is a powerful tool for uh, students under the umbrella of special education? Um, well, I've seen it utilized in multiple different ways. And part of what I've been experiencing is that um, the things that we use, I always say that the instructional practices that we use for special education, and I just did air quotes, and I realized that nobody's going to get that. But um, <laughs> people always say, oh, well, that's a special ed type of instruction. And I'm like, no, it's just quality instruction. So the tools and the way that the things that we use are effective for all students because they're designed to be used with, you know, the students who need the most support. So um, I've found that VR is the same kind of thing. It's it, I, I, all kids can benefit from it. And it's our responsibility to find a way that all students can can utilize it. Um, I've seen it used for motivation. A lot of times students will have, you know, in education, what we refer to as like point sheets, where, you know, if, if they earn enough points, they, they get to uh, choose something that they want to do for like a break. And um, I always use anything I can to motivate students, um, including VR, because it is such a fantastic motivator. I try not to always go right to that just because I don't want it to um, turn into like a fad or because we're already kind of fighting that um, notion that people just look at VR as like a fun game and don't realize the full potential that it holds. Um, so we use it for motivation. Uh, like I said, we use it um, with um, preparing students for different environments. And uh, we also um, have used it for um, what 
refer to as video modeling. Um, that's where it's been found, research has shown that when students are able to watch either themselves or somebody performing a skill such as like hand washing, um, that they learn it faster and more efficiently. So utilizing point of view camera for the same type of skill with VR and hand washing. Hand, um, hand washing is pretty poignant right now. Absolutely. Yes. That's why we were really focused, hyper-focused on that one. Um, and uh, the other th- way that VR, I think the power I've seen of it is not only just for our special education kids, but for teaching the rest of the world about what our students go through. So there's an app called um, Notes on Blindness, and it's fantastic. And it's um, basically, it's a gentleman who um, was losing his eyesight. So he recorded actual you know, videotape, audio, rec- or not videotape, excuse me, audio tape recordings um, as his diary. And so when you put the headset on and you start the app, you're listening to him describing what it's like, how he hears the leaves crunching and he hears people um, walking behind him and the wind blowing. But what you see is this like pale, dark blue color and like visions kind of like float in and out of your um, view. So it's simulating what it was like for him losing his vision. So I can take that and I can put another, I can put a student in there and be like, look, this is what our kids have to go through. Um, and not only our students to create that empathy, but also for other teachers. Cause a lot of times people think, oh, well, you know, you give them a guide dog and a cane and they're good to go. And it's like, no, that's not actually, you know, what it is. And research has already proven that empathy, um, we're able to create more meaningful empathy use, utilizing VR than we are with traditional methods. I am so glad you mentioned that. I have a, a book coming out this summer and the premise behind the book is that VR, its its greatest superpower is to make abstract things more understandable for students. Because my worry is that as VR does start to filter into schools and classrooms, that it's used for its lowest hanging fruit, which is to try and get kids to understand facts and knowledge. I had one gentleman, for example, who I was working with, he's like, well, I want you to show me how to create like a quiz inside VR. And I paused and as gently as I could, I said, I don't think we want to use VR to have kids take like a quiz. I think we can do that outside of VR and it'll be just as effective. Absolutely. And in, I've been also fighting that same kind of thing. Like there has to be something that, the VR offers that you couldn't get in a traditional method. Because like you said, I can give a quiz outside of VR. Why am I going to, how am I going to convince somebody to buy a potentially $900 headset to take a quiz? That it's not any, you know, it's not getting me anything. I now have to buy and learn a whole new system just to do what I could do outside of it. Um, So we have to be very careful about how we utilize VR. And also one of the biggest things that I always am, pushing with teachers is that we need to change the way we think. So um, I kind of like my sessions, I'll, I'll, I'll entitle them, no, there doesn't have to be an app for that. And 
um, I give an example of this lesson we did. I had a second grade teacher ask me, you know, is there anything you can do? We're working on money skills. So I'm like, yeah, let me see. Well, there's not a VR app that's entitled Let's Teach Money. Um, but there is a free fishing game called Bait. And um, if you've ever played it, it's oddly addictive. But um, so we had the kids come in and for the first 20 to 30 minutes, I let them just play. They just got to fish and and, ha- and have fun and enjoy what they were doing, especially because the school that I work at um, is a Title I school with a um, high free and reduced lunch population. So there's a lot of students who've never even been outside of Louisville, let alone gone fishing. And um, I just whipped up an Excel document. And so every time they caught a fish, it would give them um, the name, how many stars it was worth, the weight, and then how many coins they earned. So every time they caught a fish, they had to record that on their spreadsheet. And while this was happening, there was all this conversation going on. And I hear from a lot of people that they, they worry that VR is very isolating because kids put the headset on and they're in their own little world. And I've found multiple times over that it's the exact opposite because the kids were wanting to share what they were doing. They were taking their headset off and giving it to another student saying, look at the fish I caught, look at this, look at that, and creating these communication exchanges that I, as an adult, could have never created on my own, these authentic exchanges. And so then after we, um, after we finished, they had to utilize their math skills to add up the total amount of weight, the total coins, the total stars, all that kind of stuff. And then we had exciting conversations that went in directions that I could have never even predicted or the best teacher could have never planned for. And um, we talked about estimation, you know, like this fish uh, was 10 pounds and got you one star. How big do you think it would, how much does it need to weigh to get three stars and that kind of a thing. Um, And they got to decide, uh, you know, they had so many coins. Did they want to buy the bait or did they want to save up for a new fishing rod and actual real life money skills that meant something to them because it had a direct impact on their life because they were now invested in this game. And so they got to decide how they wanted to spend their money in something they cared about. And then through the talking, I said, well, what happens if you couldn't find the fish? And one girl said, well, I went and I, you know, cast into the deeper water. And I said, well, why'd you go in the deeper water? And she said, that's where the bigger fish live. And, oh, and so wow. I'm like, well, why do the bigger fish live in the deeper water? And another student said, cause it's colder. And then a, and another, and I said, well, why is it colder? And then another student chimed in and said, cause the sun doesn't reach it. So here we hit this conversation and we were talking about these earth concepts that I would have never predicted or possibly imagined all from a free fishing game called bait. And like when we got done and this was a behavior wise, let me tell you, this was a tough class that I probably wouldn't have signed up for. And when we got done, the teacher said to me, she goes, you didn't have a single behavior problem. And I said, I know. And she was like, no, like the whole time you didn't have one. And I said, I know because the kids were having fun and invested in their learning. And so if we can make that shift and change how we think and how we utilize VR, yes, of course, there needs to be more educational apps. We can never stop developing those, but we already have as teachers what we need right now. We just need to understand how to use them. Wow. You could have been uh, an introduction to to my book that's coming up because, uh, again, there are tons of already designed off, I call them off the shelf experiences that you're right people pass over because they think oh that that's a 
entertainment application or that's oh that's a game we can't use that game there's no application for that vr game and yet if the the paradigm shift is that those games actually connect to bigger concepts that we're trying to get kids to ruminate on within the classroom so you know you are a big fan of mine just based on that story you just told me so i mean i could go on and on the VR lady and I had a conversation about, for example, Ricky's plank experience. And Ricky's plank experience, you know, you have to go up this elevator and then you're on the 18th floor of a building and you have to decide whether you want to walk out on this plank. And, you know, that experience alone has garnered so much learning for me within the classroom. Or baby hands, baby hands VR, you're walking around or crawling around like a baby. And perspective is so important. Like if you're right down there on the floor, what do you see? You know, is the is the house baby proof? How do we baby proof the house? Like whose point of view are we using when we play the game? So uh, I sing your praises. Oh, well, thank you. Um, and, and it is, and you know, it's all learning from each other and, and, you know, the strong community that is already out there. And when you speak of perspective, um, I've actually been using that at the university level. So, um, I taught a class and um, it was, you know, uh, college students learning to be teachers. So we call them pre-service teachers. And I would film, um, and and again, in the uh, 360 or the VR 180, I would film um, different lessons from different grade levels and I would do it from different perspectives. So at some point I would do it from the perspective of a student. And so then I would show it to them and I would be like, okay, well now how does it feel? Like you think when you walk up to that student who's sitting on the carpet and you bend over and you get real close and you whisper to them, you think you're getting down on their level. However, you came over top of them and you were very imposing and intimidating. How did that make you feel? And they're like, oh, well, you know, I I actually kind of felt a little unnerving. And And then I'll show them how in outside of the headset, I was filming them and they literally cowered, even though it wasn't, you know, a real person, they actually ducked like somebody was standing over top of them. And so it, it, it helps us learn how we're talking to our kids and how we come across to them um, wow. just by changing the perspective. Speaking of perspective, you've been doing a bit of work with eye tracking. And so I want to sort of dive into that topic of eye tracking. So, uh, again, some of the listeners may not be familiar with the hardware side of things. And I I don't try in this podcast to dive too deep into hardware stuff. But can you tell us a bit about what eye tracking is and uh, how it's available on some headsets? Yeah, of course. Um, So eye tracking is very exciting and we are currently using it on the Vive Pro Eye headset, which is a wired headset. Um, But I have seen it coming out on, I believe the, uh, I think there's, yeah, I think Pico and um, uh, Vajero or that one. Um, But uh, it's not, available on any of the standalones yet, but that's just a matter of time as the technology continues to develop. And the reason that I love it is um, a couple of different, uh, there's a couple of different aspects that we use it for. So we utilize it with our students um, for, especially like our nonverbal students that I had kind of mentioned before. um, And uh, it allows them to be able to um, kind of participate in the same way as their peers, which uh, I can speak to more about um, when we talk about brain drain, but also 
if I have a student, especially like with autism or even a student with ADHD and they're easily distracted, I can guess what I think they're looking at, but I don't actually know because I don't know exactly where they're looking. Whereas with eye tracking, I can find out exactly what they're looking at. So I can put them in a virtual environment and I can have different distractions and things that I think it might be. And then I can actually track and see, all right, what is it that they're attending to the most? What are they looking at? Um, and then we can also use it with, like I said, our pre-service teachers and just our already practicing teachers um, and see when they run through a simulation and they're teaching, are they looking at a certain group of students more than the other? Are there, is their attention on a different side of the room? And then lastly, um, with that, it's not the exact eye tracking, but um, there is an app on the Vive Focus Plus that we use called Virtual Speech, and it utilizes the same idea from the headset, and um, students can practice public speaking, and it'll tell them like which side of the room they attended to more. So we're seeing on the standalone, we're getting a lot closer to it. Um, so I think that that eye tracking, like I said, in the next couple of years will be available on the standalone, which will be really exciting because then it's going to get provide all this data basically right at our fingertips. Can the, can the data be provided in something uh, a little more palatable, like a, a heat map, maybe? How does the data come out when you use the eye tracking? Um, so we utilize it with, um, a couple different ways. So yeah, the data track, the, the data comes, um, like with a, uh, it like sets up, you like kind of like scan the room and it sets up the environment. And so then, um, it's, you can retrace it, like it, it tracks the, um, path. And so you can use array and, and actually see where they're looking at like live and then it'll track that back to you and, 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 um, tell you where it was they were looking, how long, if you can, again, by like the settings, not to get like too technical, but if you set it up to, you know, um, it'll take data if it stares at the same point for longer than three seconds or two seconds or however you set it up. So you could, it has a really good, um, amount of customability for what you're looking for and how you're, um, wanting to utilize that data. Let's get into uh, brain drain for a minute. So just to put some background again for listeners, your group participated in the MIT hackathon. You were on a team and what was your challenge for the hackathon? And then more importantly, tell us about the game that came out of that called brain drain. So brain drain is a passion project of mine that I actually started in 2013 when um, Microsoft originally came out with their connect and their original goal was to have a connect in every school. And I am not a, you know, a coder, I'm not a developer or programmer. Um, so I just simulated it and um, I've basically been working on it since then, like researching and trying to get it made. And then when VR came out, it was like, it was the absolute perfect medium for it. And um Long story short, it's basically the premise is that um, these two doctors release an evil virus into the world, but which is a little scary with now times, um, but they release it via junk food. And so it brings in like health nutrition and all like every concept you can kind of think of. And so um, what it does is it turns the students into phantoms. And that basically is just a more PC way of saying zombie. And 
you know, they don't eat brains. So that, that too, but um, when you turn into a phantom, you're basically just roaming the world, the earth. And you have this question that's kind of like floating over your head and it's just stuck in your head and you can't get past it. So as you play as the hero and you like make your avatar or whatever, and you get to travel the world and um, like each kind of continent is like a different subject area. And so like when, but like if you're in Brazil and you're walking down the street in Brazil, you're going to hear Brazilian music. People are going to be speaking, you know, Portuguese, Portuguese or whatever language it is to that um, section. And, you know, it's going to be a typical fruit market that you would see in Brazil. And so it's teaching culture and all these other things. And um, when you come up to the phantom, they ask you the question and you have to get the question right. If you don't, there's a couple of things that can happen. Um, you can collect different like fruits and vegetables and like vitamins and, you know, deodorant and toothbrush and bottles of water throughout your adventure. And you can throw them at them to buy yourself time to, to get another chance. Um, or you have your trusty beagles, Wendy and Jesse. Those are my dogs at the time. Uh, if you've collected some, yeah, if you've collected some dog bones or something, you could ask one of them for help and they would like turn it into a multiple choice question. And so if you get the question right, you save the, um, you, you save the student, they, the kid, they turn back into a kid and you save them from being a phantom. You cure them and they join your army for the big final battle um, at the end of the game. But what's unique about Brain Drain is that you don't just answer the question in your stereotypical type of way. And so this is um, where the eye tracking really came in crucial. So as a special ed teacher, I got really discouraged and quite frankly, fed up with seeing all these amazing things come out and my students not be able to play them. And um, so I designed Brain Drain to be accessible for everybody because accessibility isn't a privilege, it's a right. And what we need to do as designers is we need to start designing games that include everybody. And you can do that in a way that isn't obvious or doesn't cause you to have to do all these different types of things. So like one way they answer is they um, have to use the triggers on the controller. Another way is they just have to touch the object like with the controller. Um, and all the movements are utilizing big movements if possible. So like picking something up on the left side and bringing it up to the right side. So they're crossing midline and they're activating both sides of their brain and they're really doing body coordinated body movements. Um, but then also there's the eye tracking. So students who are in wheelchairs, students who have poor fine motor um, or even gross motor control can now utilize this eye tracking and answer. And what I've found using it with the kids is that all the kids love the eye tracking. They think it's so cool. They think it's exciting. They're like, I'm controlling it with my eyes and they get all excited. So now what I've done is I've created a way for the kids to participate that they all love. So it's not like, oh, my special education students have to have this special adaptation that makes it obvious that they're not able to participate like everybody else. And I've turned it into now they get to participate like everybody else because it's fun for everybody. Mm. We call so, that Total differentiation, hey? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. And so um, what I did was I went to the hackathon with my idea and I was hoping my main goal was just to find some people that would believe in it and want to help me make it. And I did. I found three team members that are, that were and are absolutely amazing. Um, Rebecca Clark, 
Jennifer Swan, and Joshua Maris. And um, together we created three playable levels of the game. And um, we actually, we won uh, best use of eye tracking from HTC Vive, which was incredibly um, rewarding and humbling. Um, and actually, we as a team um, are continuing to work on Brain Drain with the goal of being able to actually develop it and release it. And I've found three people that are like angels on earth because they were a, a true godsend and um, they still believe in it and they still want to continue to work on it with me. So it couldn't have been any more exciting for me. Well, congr- congratulations. Thanks. Uh, now, can is the goal also, let's say we don't have... Uh, the HTC Vive Pro Plus with eye tracking, can you still play the game without eye tracking? Yep. And so um, that was another big thing that we talked about is that um, developing it, A, for the standalone because of the price point and everything that comes along with it. And in education, you know, the, the standalone headset really changed the game um, because, you know, schools are it, currently at the prices and everything, schools aren't going to be able to buy, you know, a $2,000 headset and then a $2,000 computer to run it and then get enough, you know, to have 25 to 30. But with the Focus Plus and um, the ability for um, having that head tracking, like I said, that we utilized with uh, the virtual speech, it's not as precise as the eye tracking, so we're not quite there, but we can utilize the head tracking so it's closer. Um, so developing it for the standalone unit. And then also, as um, we've seen with the Quest and the Focus, with hand tracking coming into play as well, um, that offers up another modality for us so that instead of having to use a controller, they could use their hand. So if they have different, um, you know, fine motor issues, they could we could do all different kinds of things, including, you know, um, if they can hold a pencil, they can point with a pencil instead of a controller. All those kind of things kind of come into play now and are opened up for us. Wow, that's fantastic. Um, so you mentioned already the phishing game. Are there other sort of killer apps or applications that uh, you use either heavily or see the potential of using for uh, special education? Um, again, I don't know, like specifically for special ed, you know, I'm always, uh, I, I've, I've been watching and finding, um, you know, a lot of the, um, like there's like different zoo apps. So like they can, um, you can, see animals up close and uh, things like that to help with learning those um, things. And then just the ability to have the, um, the harder concepts, we can explain them in ways that, you know, we couldn't before. We can take kids anywhere, you know, basically anywhere we want to and, um, and travel to different places, um, giving them experiences, you know, like students, who might not ever be able to ride a roller coaster can ride a roller coaster. And that might not seem like a big deal for some people, but if you're that student, it's a huge deal for you. Um, so we've seen things like that. And then um, just in general, one of uh, the, the most effective apps and well, it's a software that we've been using has been the engage platform. Mm-hmm. Um, we, ha- we've 
bought bought into that for sure, not only for what it provides, but um, because of the company as a whole, uh, Chris Madsen, he's incredibly supportive. You know, I can text him and he'll be like, let me hop in a headset and help you. You know, they actually walk the walk um, for their support for education. And so that also gives us the ability to take students and again, kind of practice those different learning environments, but letting them do it in the safety of an environment where they feel comfortable and also in a manner that doesn't disrupt the classroom. So that's the other thing too, as a special education teacher, yes, I'm always constantly fighting for my student um, and I'm fighting for my student to be treated equally with whatever supports they need. But at the same time, they shouldn't be given special treatment because they um, are, you know, under the special ed umbrella. I can't stand when, um, you know, I would have a student who was nonverbal and, a, you know, a kid was too close. And so she would punch him and they're like, oh, that's okay. I'm like, no, that's absolutely not okay. We're not allowed to punch people. She has ways of communicating that she knows are um, more effective and are the right thing to choose besides punching somebody. Nobody, punching is not, is not acceptable for anybody, my student included, hold them to that same level. Um, so if I take them into a general education classroom and it's overwhelming and they start screaming and yelling and, and we continue to try to force them in that environment, that is now taking away from the learning of others as well. And that's not fair. Um, so I always try to think of it from every student's perspective and giving every student what they need and having, just having high expectations for all our kids. Good, good example. Yeah, Chris is super busy right now. We just finished a big online educators in VR conference and Engage was one of the platforms. And that's paved the way for, you know, the immediate future in that there are so many face-to-face conferences that are being canceled and they're looking at possibly doing them in spaces like Engage or Altspace. So it'll be an interesting time to see whether virtual reality conferences actually take off. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I actually, I got to present in that and um, I was in alt space for it, which I enjoyed as well. Um, but uh, with using the Focus Plus, it's not on that headset yet, but um, I feel like I've kind of walked around with a little bit of a strut the last couple of days because I've been telling people that VR is the future and VR is what they need to do. And then now with all these conferences going to VR, I'm like, told you so yeah yeah it's gonna put a lot of hotels out of business though i I know and and traveling and i mean it's just it's a little scary right now shannon let's say i am a, a teacher who is uh passionate about special education in a school how would you what what advice or wisdom would you give them on how to get started um I would say just to start exploring and start learning. Um, there's so many different things out there. And, you know, there's the three levels of VR. Basically, you have your mobile, which everybody tends to know is, you know, Google Cardboard and Google Expeditions. And then you have your standalones. And then you have your... Um, you know, your wired headsets and just to kind of explore. And I get some flack from some teachers for this, but, and I love Google expeditions. Do not get me wrong. I thought it was fantastic. I thought it opened up VR to a lot of people. Um, however, it's not interactive. Um, 
And so I feel like I kind of, the analogy I give is it's kind of like a, the flip phone, like it gets the job done. It, it does what you need it to do, but we're all onto smartphones now. And I feel like the standalone is more like a smartphone just because it has the capability to do so much more. Um, so what I would say is to just explore and look with an open eye and, and an open heart and mind at what is out there and um what your goal is, what is it that you're actually trying to achieve? Because that's how you're going to need to think of, you know, how can I utilize VR? If my goal is just to keep a kid entertained, well, I, I wouldn't suggest VR because that's, I, I think it's just so much, it's not a good use of it. It's an effective use of the technology. Um, and yes, of course, we want to entertain our kids, but we want to educate them at the same time. Um, so just in looking out to resources, you know, people like me, they can be, I always tell people they can email me or message me on Twitter. Absolutely. Anytime I'm more than happy to help anybody. If it means that it'll get VR into more kids hands, then, then I'm, I'm, I'm there for it. So just to explore. How about you? What, what's, what's the horizon look like for you? What are your goals over the next, I don't know, short term, the next few months, or if you want to talk a bit about long term, uh, as it pertains to virtual reality. Yeah, well, so short term, barring that we'll actually still be in school, hopefully, um, I'm working on a pretty exciting project um, with not only the University of Louisville, but uh, Jefferson County Public Schools. Um, we have been working on it since May, and it's finally coming to fruition. And we've kind of just um, started the biggest uh, VR rollout plan for any district that I've really seen in America to date. Um, we are utilizing six different high schools and the two elementaries that I've already mentioned. But um, what we're doing in those high schools is um, the four of the high schools are going to be getting VR labs and for the rest of the spring, just for the rest of the school year, the semester, we are focused on, um, cause these high schools have different, um, CTE pathways. So they're not trade schools, but, uh, they, students are able to, um, focus on a certain, uh, career track. And so the one that we picked is um, the international business degree. And so utilizing Engage, we've got a pretty exciting project in the works um, with that. And um, like I said, we're developing it right now. And then um, with the um, two other high schools that we have, we have uh, just finally ordered um it's called the flame trainer. I don't know if you've seen it. It's F L A I M and it's out of Australia. And it, we have two fire science Academy high schools and shockingly no or high school student is allowed to be any around any live fire activities for obvious reasons. So the flame trainer is a firefighting simulation, but it's taken to a such a higher level that it's unbelievable. Um, and that's going to, kind of um, be one of the major focuses of the project along with the others. And then also utilizing a company called Dual Good Health um, with CPR and first aid and um, general life-saving skills for our pre-med and nursing track students. Um, so that's all developing right now and in, in, um, in the works. So I'm pretty excited, real excited to try to create a template and roadmap um, for other districts and the rest of the district, hopefully to utilize because we're, I think, the 28th largest school district in the country. So we've got a lot of schools here that um, we can expand to. And then my 
goal would be to parlay that into, of course, a successful dissertation defense. And then eventually I'd love to get on with some tech company somewhere and design and create VR for education and then hopefully uh, be the one who gets to go out there and show people how to use it and and what it can do. Mm. That last statement is super important to me. You know, I asked you the question about people wanting to get started and I think we need more messengers who are free available to get into schools and evangelize the power of this. There are too many people that I talk to either through the show or just through other avenues who they've heard of VR, but you know, they're sitting on the fence because they just don't have either the time or the resources to put a headset onto themselves or their students to see truly how powerful it is. So, you know, I like uh, that more people are seeing that. And, you know, my hope and wish is that there are more people that are made available to get into schools to show them the true potential of the medium. Exactly. Because it can be incredibly overwhelming. I kind of call it the smart board effect. Like when smart board first came out, it had so much potential and it had so many features and so much functionality that most of the teachers that I saw just got completely and totally overwhelmed. And they, after they had to calibrate it, they like shut down and it now is basically a giant projection screen um, instead of utilizing all the functionality that it does have. And so I do not want that to happen with VR. And if we don't have people that can help show how it's done and show what you need to do, and then also creating the experiences. So what I, the reason I, I would love to be able to do that is because I do know what it's like to be in the classroom. I do know what it's like when you have a student, you know, throwing a chair at you. I know what it's like dealing with all those things. So designing these experiences with somebody who actually understands. So, so many times we'll see a product or something come out and, you know, I, I, I give the example that up, you know, up until like five years ago, 90% of women's undergarments were designed by men. And I'm like, okay, I get it. Cause you like, you look at them, but you don't wear it. So as a woman, if I'm designing a product for a woman, why wouldn't I have a woman on my team? So if I'm designing a product for education, why do I not have teachers on the team developing it? Um, so I would, I, I, I would hopefully, I want to be able to bridge that gap and um, provide, you know, support. And then, and like I said, I don't want to just, you know, design and create them. I really want to be out there in the field helping and showing, like I said, teachers. And so then that way I'm not losing contact with kids because even though I don't know what my future holds, it might be teaching in a classroom again. It might not. I still don't want to lose that connection with working with kids. Um, so and, and, and if we can get the kids on board, then we'll get the teachers. You know, it's just like you don't, you don't uh, sell sugary cereal to adults. You sell it to kids. So they'll bug their parents enough and they'll buy it. It's the same kind of thing. If we can get the kids and get them on board. And like I said, it's what they need. Whether people want to admit it or not, the future is here. And we need to prepare kids for skills that will make them successful. And those skills are digital and those are technology, whether it be VR, whether it be machine learning, whether it be they need to know how to log into their own email account, how to open up a new tab. These are all things that we need to be teaching kids besides just your standard reading and writing in the quote unquote test. Well said. Well, that's an awesome sort of way to end this. It's been such a pleasure, Shannon, to have you on the show. And uh, 
just to reiterate, if people want to continue the conversation to get a hold of you, what's the best best venue? Mm-hmm. Well, first off, just thank you so much for allowing me to come on to your show and to join you and for having a platform like you do, because without people like you, we don't get the word out. And so um, I'm eternally grateful for that and um, allowing me to to ramble on. I feel like I could go on forever, so I will not, but um, they can always reach me at my email. Um, it's Shannon, S-H-A-N-N-O-N dot Putman, P-U-T-M-A-N at Louisville. It's Technically, we say Louisville, but it's L-O-U-I-S-V-I-L-L-E dot E-D-U. Um, or I'm on Twitter as Shannon one underscore Putman, P-U-T-M-A-N. Um, they can reach out to me either one of those ways. I'm also on LinkedIn as Shannon Putman. Um, I am on Discord, but I have to admit I'm more of an old fogey when it comes to Discord. And I'm not on there as much as I should, so I'm trying to get better. But uh, um any of those methods would be great. Wonderful. Listen, if you hold on at the end of the show, we can uh, debrief for a minute. Sure. So thanks again. And I uh, hope to see you maybe not in discord, but on some of those. <laughs> I'm getting better. I promise. <laughs> bye for now. All right. Bye. Thank you.